Good morning, Plum Creek. Great to have you with us today. I am so glad you decided to worship with us, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. Today, we're continuing our series called Asking for a Friend. And every week during this series, we're tackling some tough question about God or about Christianity or just about life in general. And we know that lots of people are struggling with some tough issues right now. And so we're looking to God, and we're finding answers in His Word. Now, over the past few weeks, we've asked all of you to submit questions for this series. And many of you have done that. Uh, next week is when we start answering your questions. Now, we got some good ones, and I do appreciate that. This morning, though, we have one more question that we chose ahead of time. Today we're asking, why bother with church? And it's interesting, some of the questions you sent us are right along these lines. Uh, in fact, one person sent us this. What do I tell my friend who says she's a Christian but doesn't think she needs to go to church to be a follower of Christ? Now, I have no idea who that friend might be, but she's actually got plenty of company. A couple of years ago, LifeWay Research released a study that said 65% of churchgoers agree that they can walk with God without other believers. In other words, I don't need to go to church to follow Jesus. Now, these people may, may not have anything against church. They just think it's not that important to, to be personally connected to a group of believers. Now, ever since COVID began, uh, this issue has become even more relevant. Overall, church attendance has taken a pretty big hit during this pandemic. Uh, recently, I, I heard a podcast with a panel of four pastors from across the U.S. and Canada. And these pastors talked about the average attendance for their in-person worship services compared to the days before COVID. It was really interesting. Uh, one of them said their church is currently averaging about 75% of their pre-COVID attendance. The second one said they're at 60%. The third one said around 50%. And the fourth pastor said their attendance is only 25% of what it used to be. And of course, there are plenty of legitimate reasons why some people haven't been coming to church. But the fact is, we are going through a major paradigm shift in the American church. Uh, the situation here in 2021 is very different than where we were in 2019. And the truth is, that's not all bad. See, right now, every church has the opportunity to reevaluate who we are and who God is calling us to be. And here's the thing about attendance. Attendance figures don't necessarily tell you how many people in a particular church are fully devoted followers of Jesus. Because that total attendance number, it includes several different groups. Um, now, you've got a, a group that is sort of seeking, uh, sort of looking into Christianity, and that's a great thing that these people are, are here. Uh, you've you got another group that definitely is committed to following Jesus every day. But then you also have a group that, see, they see church as kind of a side interest. It's a take it or leave it kind of thing. Uh, if, if something else comes up, it, it's really easy to skip church. And the reality is, 
in our country at least, that group has been growing for years, uh, well before COVID. The pandemic just accelerated a trend that was already in motion. So this is where we find ourselves today. More people than ever are asking this question, why bother with church? Now, let me be clear uh, with this question. We're not talking about people who are sick or high risk or in quarantine. We're talking about people who have gotten out of the habit of church, and now they're asking, is it really that important to go back? We're also talking about people who have struggled with church in the past. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they just felt disconnected for some reason, and now they're asking, is church really worth the trouble? Now, it may come as no surprise to you, since I'm a preacher, but I have a strong conviction here. I I believe the answer is yes. Church is absolutely worth it. It's essential. I believe it's God's plan for every follower of Jesus to be connected to the local church. And that's not just my opinion. That's the clear message of Scripture. Now, before I go any further, I want to get a couple things out of the way. First, this sermon is not about me. Some people might think my agenda here is to fill up seats in this room. And I promise that's not the case. This issue is much bigger than Plum Creek. Other people might think this sermon is going to be one big guilt trip, and I promise that's not the case either. So what is this sermon about? Well, I'll tell you. We're about to step back and see God's original design for the church. So this sermon is about seeking God and asking him to help us be the church that he wants us to be as we live through this crazy time in history. And I'm really excited to share this with you. So let's dive in. Now we're going to focus on four aspects of God's design for the church. My friend David Vaughn says, there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. But for that to happen, we've got to follow God's design. So here's the, fo- the first truth we'll look at today. God designed the church to gather. Now, that might seem like a strange way to start, but it it really does make sense. Because if you open your Bible and you flip through the the New Testament, you will see the word church show up about 76 times, depending on what version you use. But what does that word really mean? Well, it's interesting. uh, In the New Testament, the word church is translated from a Greek word, ekklesia. Now, this is really important. We need to remember this word. So everybody say it with me. Ready? Here we go. Ekklesia. Now you know some Greek. That's good. Congratulations. Now, we, uh, we need to know the original meaning of this Greek word. And it's really pretty simple. Ekklesia means assembly or gathering. And you might be surprised to know that in Bible times, the word ecclesia didn't necessarily have a religious meaning. Uh, For example, in the Bible itself, in the book of Acts, there's a place where ecclesia refers to a mob of people who started a riot. So that mob was an assembly. It was a gathering. Uh, They were in ecclesia. Now, over time, this word became more and more identified with a Christian gathering. And eventually, the word church takes on a pretty consistent meaning. We could define it this way. In the New Testament, 
The word church commonly refers to a local group of believers who gather regularly to worship God and help each other follow Jesus. And that's a helpful definition because it tells us what the church is and what the church is not. The church is not a building. It's a group of people. It's a gathering of Christians, but it's also a particular type of gathering. If you run across a, a Christian friend at the grocery store, uh, that doesn't mean your encounter in the frozen food aisle should be called a church. God, God has set up the church to be a, a particular group of people who spend time in God's presence. They, they gather at particular times to listen to his word, and to be built up as his people. It's not a religious club. It's the body of Christ, and God wants to use us to do his work in this world. I want to show you something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. In this chapter, Jesus is with his disciples, and he looks at them, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 you are correct, Peter, but you didn't come up with that answer yourself. My Father revealed it to you. And then Jesus goes on. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's some controversy around this verse. Uh, there are several different opinions and arguments about what Jesus is saying here. We don't have time to get into all that today. Uh, I just want to point out two quick things. First, when Jesus says, I will build my church, what do you think the Greek word is that he's using there? It's the word ekklesia. It's an assembly. It's a gathering. And what kind of group is Jesus bringing together? Is he gathering a group that will meet together on a Sunday morning in a building, sing a few songs, listen to somebody talk, and then go back home to their normal lives? Of course not. Jesus is gathering an army here. Look at the last phrase in this verse. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. I heard a preacher talk about that phrase and he said, in the past, when I read this verse, I used to picture the forces of hell attacking the church, but the church held back that attack. They, they resisted, and the gates of hell did not prevail. But then this preacher said, finally, it hit me. The word here is gates. Gates are not offensive weapons. They, they, they are, they're defense. They, they try to stop attackers from getting in. So do you see it? The church is on offense. Jesus has a plan to use his church to storm the gates of hell, to, to beat back the enemy, and then watch as God wins the ultimate victory for his glory. You know, some people think of church as boring, but I think this statement from Jesus makes it pretty clear. If church is boring, we're not doing it right. <laughs> We're not following God's design because Jesus calls us to gather as an army. He calls us to join a mission that is more significant than any other pursuit or activity in this world. So that's the first aspect of God's design. And here's number two. 
by God's design, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need the church. Now, right here, we're starting to drill down on today's question. Why bother with church? Well, because you need it. And that goes against the grain of our culture today. Uh, we Americans are highly individualistic. We're also very consumeristic. Uh, we live in a world where we can get exactly what we want, exactly when we want it. For example, uh, look at the way we entertain ourselves today. Technology and entertainment are far more personalized than they've ever been in the past. Think about it. Uh, years ago, most families had just one television. Uh, there were no laptops, no smartphones, no tablets. So if a family was going to watch TV, they all watched the same thing at the same time. But this was also true on a national scale. I came across an amazing stat the other day. On September 9th, 1956, Elvis Presley appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. And his performance was broadcast on live TV. And get this, out of all American homes with a television set, 82.6% watched Elvis perform that night. That's a huge percentage. And you don't see anything like that today because today you go to YouTube or your favorite streaming service and you watch exactly what you want. So we don't have that shared experience anymore. And that's just entertainment. Our individualism extends to other areas in life. You know, when I need to repair something around the house, I, I don't need to ask a live person for help. I just go right back to YouTube, or I ask Siri. <laughs> they tell me what to do, and then I just do it myself. And many of us like it that way. But what do these trends mean for the church? Well, in our individualistic culture, many people are saying, I don't think I need it. Why should I bother? Well, let me shoot straight with you. If church for you is about listening to worship music, singing worship music, you don't really need it, do you? Because it's incredibly easy to find your favorite songs in your favorite style, and then you can just sing praises to God by yourself. But maybe you go to church looking for solid preaching and teaching. Well, it's a little hard for me to say this, but if your impression of church is about hearing a great sermon, you don't really need that, do you? Uh, listen, I, I realize there are plenty of preachers out there who do a better job than I do, and I'm not being down on myself. It's just true, and I'm okay with that. And these days, it is easier than ever to go online and find somebody who matches the style you like and the content you like. And I'm not criticizing that. I, I listen to a lot of preachers from all over, and I'm really blessed by that. The Word of God is powerful, whether you hear it in the same room or it comes to you digitally. So again, why do we bother with church? Well, let me give you an illustration from my past. When I was growing up as a preacher's kid, we were at church all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. My brother and I didn't argue about it because that would be like arguing with the weather. You know, it wasn't going to change anything. But then later on, I went to college. And then the situation was different. 
When I was a freshman, I found myself 12 hours away from home, and there was nobody there telling me to go to church. And I tell you what, I took advantage of that newfound freedom. At first, I went to a church on campus. I, I would show up just as the church was, uh, service was starting, and then I would slip into the back row, and as soon as it, would over, as soon as it was over, I would jet out of there. Uh, I didn't talk to anyone. I basically clocked in, and I clocked out. I was kind of doing uh, just enough to stay on good, God's good side. That, that's how I thought about it. But after a while, even that low level of commitment seemed like too much. I started hanging out with a group of friends that liked to stay up late on Saturday nights playing poker. They didn't care much about church at all, so I started not to care. And then I started to pick up some of the habits that my friends had. I started to talk the way they talked. I started to do some of the things that they did. And eventually, it was very clear, my friends had a much greater influence on me than the church I was not attending. Uh, over time, uh, I realized that my life ha had reached a turning point. It, there was a fork in the road there, and I had a decision to make. Was I going to follow Jesus or, or just follow myself? And I am thankful that God's arms were open, and I, I ran back to him. Because before that, my, my spiritual life was going downhill fast. But I tell that story to make a point. When you spend time away from church, what happens? Do you grow closer to Jesus? Or do you start to drift away from Jesus? Be honest about that. A writer named Colin Hansen says, A Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. Isolation is not healthy. It leaves you vulnerable. Satan wants to take you down. He wants to devour you. He's like a, a lion that looks for that antelope that's separated from the herd. The isolated antelope is the one that's most vulnerable. So don't try to do this alone. You need these people. I need these people. That's why the early church was devoted to something called fellowship. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, there are four items on this list, four areas that were a priority for these Christians. And three of them are kind of no-brainers. Uh, the apostles' teaching, uh, that's listening to God's word. And, of course, that's, that's going to be important at church. And then prayer, that's another obvious one. We, we got to do that. And then the breaking of bread uh, or communion or the Lord's Supper, that's important, of course. That's where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We thank him for that. But what about fellowship? What's that about? Well, I have another Greek word for you. The word fellowship is translated from the Greek word koinonia. And you could think of koinonia as a community of people, but it's actually more than that. It's a partnership. It's like a family. When you and I are part of the same koinonia, I've got your back and you've got mine. So yes, the early Christians, they were devoted to koinonia because they knew they needed it. They needed it so much 
that in the earliest days of the church, they met together every single day. They truly shared their lives with each other. There's a passage of Scripture that describes what this koinonia should look like. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Check this out. It says, Let us, and that's plural there, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, our hope in Christ. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we got three commands here that begin with let us. Let us hold on to Jesus and the gospel. Let us motivate each other to do good and to share the love of Jesus. And let us encourage each other because we all need encouragement. But where do these things happen? Well, we have to meet together. All of these good things happen within that koinonia. So, as I think about where we are today in this season of life, uh, I know that many people can't show up at a worship service in person. Uh, maybe they're currently sick, or they're quarantined, or, or they're high risk, and, and, and please understand, uh, we, we understand that. And if you're with us virtually today, we are glad that you're here. But uh, how does online church relate to this command in Hebrews 10.25? Let us not neglect our meeting together. Well, based on what I've seen over the past year and a half, I have an opinion about this. And I can't give you a chapter and verse on it um, because the Bible doesn't mention online church. Uh, So this is not God's word. It's just my personal observation. I believe online church is great when necessary, but it's not great as the normal practice. And again, if you're not able to make it right now, we understand, but if you can be here, be here. Worship together in the large gathering. Meet together in small groups. You know, uh, life groups, Bible studies, those are environments where God really uses us to encourage each other. The bottom line is, followers of Jesus need other followers of Jesus. And just one more quick thing before we move on. In the same way that adults need the church, our kids also need the church. In the world that we're living in today, Kids need the church more than ever. And right now, if you are a parent and you still have kids at home, they are watching you. Uh, They they can see where the church falls in your list of priorities. If it's not important to you, it's probably not going to be important to them. And I've got a burden about this because our culture is drifting further and further away from God. And our kids, this next generation, they need to be equipped to stand strong. So please, let your kids know by your words and by your actions that it's crucial to be a part of this body. Now, I said we'd look at four aspects of God's design for the church, and and I've only hit on two. 
And I promise I'm not going to preach an hour today. I could, but I won't. So here's number three. By God's design, the church needs you. We're not meant to be consumers. We're meant to be contributors. Uh, If you're a follower of Christ, you have a vital role to play in the church. And God calls each one of us to fulfill our roles so we can't be content to just watch from the sidelines. And the truth is, if you've been a Christian for a while, you already know this because you're in one of two places right now. Either you're serving in ministry and you have the fulfillment that comes from that or you're not serving and you feel restless. You feel like something's missing. I can remember having that feeling when I was back in college. I told you about my freshman year, uh, but something significant happened at the end of my sophomore year. I studied at Milligan College, which is a Christian school, and I joined a singing group that traveled all summer. I'd go into different uh, camps, uh, Christian youth conferences, and we were basically doing youth ministry with middle school and high school students. Now, up until that time, I was not interested in pursuing ministry as a vocation, working at a church. I, I was not at all interested in that. Uh, like I told you, uh, that first year of college, my church involvement was very sporadic. I was not excited about church. I was not excited about my relationship with Jesus. But I'm telling you, during that summer, when I was on that ministry team, God changed the entire course of my life. Because I was working with those students. I was teaching them to follow Jesus and grow closer to Jesus. And my faith had never been so alive. I began to sense that God was calling me into youth ministry. And now, I've served in the local church for over 27 years. And I learned that your relationship with Christ comes alive when you are on mission. And you're being used by God to work for his kingdom. So where do you fit into all this? What role does God have for you in the church? Do you know what that is? In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul lays out several different roles. He says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, these verses give us a great blueprint for the church. Paul divides the church into two categories. Category one is leadership. Category two is everybody else. And and we see the leadership there in verse 11. That's the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. And here at Plum Creek, the, the leadership would include ministers on staff, elders, and several others. And do you notice what that group is responsible for? See that in verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So the leaders in verse 11 are called to be equippers of the rest of the church, helping others find their place in ministry. So that means 
there's a responsibility on both sides, isn't there? If you're a verse 12 person, uh, your responsibility is to get into the game. Uh, follow God's calling uh, to serve in ministry, however he's prepared and called you to do. But then what if you understand that that's your responsibility, but you don't know where to start? You, you want to serve, but you don't know how to help. Uh, maybe nobody's ever asked you to serve. Well, uh, that responsibility falls on the verse 11 leaders. If you don't know how to, play, how to find your place, that's on us. So this morning, I, I wanted to put a tool in your hands. Jimmy Ranshaw, our next-gen minister, uh, put together this list of ministry opportunities and needs here at Plum Creek. Uh, it's in your bulletin. If you didn't pick one up, you can get one on your way out today. And you can look through this list and then check, on a check off a box that you're interested in and then turn that in. We'll get you in the game. Uh, you can turn in that paper at one of the black boxes. There's one at the back of the room here and there's one outside the door over there. If you're watching online, you can go to plumcreek.org serve and we'd be glad to follow up with you from there. There are many, many ways for people to serve at Plum Creek and help us accomplish our mission. And by the way, that's one last thing we haven't talked about yet, our mission. <laughs> Many years ago, Plum Creek landed on a mission statement for our church. I'm guessing most of you know it very well. Our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We're here to help lost people get found. We're here because God wants to partner with us to help as many people as possible find the hope and salvation and eternal life that can only be found through Jesus. This mission is what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28 when he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this is the fourth aspect of God's design for the church. God designed the church not just to gather, but to go. Guys, we have work to do. This work is important. This work is urgent because all around us, there is a world full of people who are headed for an eternity apart from God if things don't change. And Jesus wants to assemble an army that will go out and storm the gates of hell and lead people to him. But the truth is, that simply won't happen if we try to go it alone. I'm so excited about where God is leading Plum Creek right now. Our staff took a day this week to, to look at the year ahead. And we're asking this question. Over the next year, how much good could we do as a church? More specifically, how much good could God do through us for his kingdom and his glory? If we're truly willing to follow where he leads, what kind of impact could we have in this world? It's exciting to think about. I'm praying about that. And I hope you'll join me in praying. And I hope that by this point, we all understand that church is not a bother. It's a necessity. By God's design, you need the church, and the church needs you. And God designed the church to gather and then to go. So let's do this. Let's be the church.
pray with me. Father, we are living through uh, a unique time, and there are some challenges of this time, uh, things that uh, may have been barriers to to gathering as the church and, and going out as the church, but Lord, I, we know what Jesus said. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, no matter what is going on. So God, I pray that you will help us to just focus on your calling for Plum Creek, how you want to use us during this season. Because Lord, yeah, we know there are lost people who need you in our community and around the world. So we want to be willing to follow where you lead us. And I pray that you will do that. Pray that we'll follow. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.